Yeah. Right now, we are still leveraging machine learning to understand the descriptive nature of what he or she may have done from a yeah. customer standpoint and then apply it. So I, e-commerce is here to stay. In fact, the, 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 the overall um, uh, you know, ecosystem will rely more and more about technology, more and more on technology. And mobile is going to be the, at, at the forefront of that. So security will be very important no matter where we land. The concept of privacy is going to be different versus security is going to continue to be important because you have to keep yourself secure from bad, you know, or malicious uh, people as well as attackers that are norm these days. Life is an endless stream of challenges, but no worries. Manoj is bringing the world's best minds right here for you. My gosh, Manoj, you just blew my mind. Thank you, universe. Manoj, thank you. I'm so grateful. Makes me feel a little bit better. Thank you. Bootstrapping Your Dreams is here to give you what you need to succeed. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. I'm your host, Manoj Agarwal, and I'm excited to be having this conversation with Khalid Salim. So Khalid is a world-known innovation influencer, driving and facilitating strategic decision-making for the board of directors and executives of multi-million corporations. Khalif is Chief Digital Officer, SVP at TBC Corporation, overseeing digital transformation across a $5 billion portfolio of the tire and automotive services for B2C and B2B channels. Khalif has been crafting digital product roadmaps, architecting innovative digital platforms and solutions, fueling omni-channel growth and digital transformation, generating over $4 billion in annual sales revenue at the Office Depot. Khalid implemented and established cloud-based, robust, and scalable platforms for online copy and print businesses, expanding them across B2B channels, enabling an enhanced customer experience, and generating over 30% year-over-year sales growth while reducing the development and support costs by as much as 40%. Khalid also is responsible for facilitating the development of Office Depot mobile apps across B2B and B2C channels, driving mobile app store ratings to 4.5 stars on Apple and 4.4 stars on Google Play, along with achieving 100% year-over-year growth for app downloads to 1 million devices. Alongside these, Khalid has also served as a technical expert and liaison for the digital marketing team, recommending building technology solutions, practices that help improve SEO and increase return on advertising spend. So welcome, Khalid. Thank you very much, Manoj, and thank you very much for the kind and humble words. Uh, really honored. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, you've done so much and you have achieved so much. I would uh, love to understand a little bit of your history, uh, You know, your backstory. How did you uh, get to this level of success? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a long story. I mean, I would rather keep it short, but yes, uh, you know, it's all started back. Uh, I come from Pakistan, so I was born and brought up in Pakistan and, uh, you know, always been into sports. And uh, one day my dad, he had friends who were in computers mm-hmm. and he decides that uh, he would buy me a computer. And so mm-hmm. he gets me a computer. And of course, as any other kid, my first attempt at that was playing games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of time playing games and all that until one day, those were the times when we have those five and a quarter floppies and you would basically put those in uh, and run a game first, put the the, the DOS, op- DOS 
disk in and then put the game disk in to be able to run something. And one day I realized, well, I could probably run another or install another game on one of the of floppies that was running DOS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I erased the whole thing, and guess what? The computer would not start. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, what did I do? I just copied files, right? In my mind, I'm like, I didn't know anything. It was probably 10, 11 years old. And then I realized when we took the computer to one of the nearby uh, you know, shop, they started explaining to me why and what happened. And that basically piqued my interest. Uh -huh. um, and then from that point onwards, I mean, always, al always inspired by technology and computers. And you know, I started uh, back with computer software engineering as my degree and went into NC State to pursue computer science. Yeah. And then from there onwards, I mean, went into PhD program for computer science, did not get a chance to finish it uh, because I went into the uh, professional world before I got a chance to finish it mm -hmm. and started off with Office Depot as a developer. And then that journey is all behind me. Mm -hmm. But if I were to look at one key aspect of what basically got me interested into technology was a long time back when my dad got me that computer, which basically just had me at awe. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. we used to play Atari and other games, don't get me wrong, but that computer, that piece, that monitor, and that little CPU that was basically being run by a floppy drive yeah. just basically inspired me. And that's where it all began. That's awesome. No, I I remember I had similar experiences when I was starting in computers. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember those 1.4 inch floppy disks and, uh, and everything. Uh, <laughs> all right, so that's awesome. Now, um, with your time at uh, Office Depot, you know, you were instrumental in bringing the apps to the app store and and everything so uh what 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 were some of the key challenges you faced during that time i think mobile apps were sort of new at that time or um can, can you tell us a little bit about that so yes at office depot actually no uh, the apps weren't uh, deployed well before my time and, and when i say well before me taking over the app so uh, I won't take credit for me deploying the apps into the app stores or all that. There were a few folks uh, who actually pioneered that, and Office Depot was definitely among the first to create a mobile app, especially in the Apple App Store. Um, and then as time go went along, I mean, everybody get, got onto that bandwagon, and then everybody you had a plethora of apps all across the board. Uh, when I took over the app platforms, what we used to do is we used to have multiple technologies that we built, so you would use you know, either uh, native, uh, you know, Objective-C or you would use, uh, use Swift to build the iOS apps. And then on Android side, you will use Android Studio and all those things to build Android apps. And it was very inefficient for me in my perspective. And then also when we were deploying at much faster scale on the desktop and the mobile site side, we were not able to actually deploy at the same pace on the mobile app side because yeah. now you have to manage multiple platforms and the team size was small too. So what we started doing was we started looking into making it more efficient and we picked up React Native and many analysts that we interviewed, actually, they say that's a foolish move that you are going to a hybrid platform. That is 2017, actually. And we were like, no, we have to do it because we have to be efficient. And I couldn't see as being a developer, I could not see a developer struggling or pulling his hair out or her hair out trying to figure out now I have to build it again for the other one or I need to tell somebody else to do this. Sure. So we basically leveraged React Native and went along those that path. What we were able to achieve was about 85% code, uh, you know, uh, to be the same across the two platforms. So 85% of the time, developers were building one time, 
and reusing across the two. Now, there are, of course, native nuances, native differences, native libraries, how you compile them are different, but that is one time, right? One time deal. After that, everything is pretty much the same. So 85 to 86% of the code base were exactly the same. And the team that used to be basically the laggards in deploying the mobile applications, they become the fastest. Mm -hmm. Anything that you were trying to launch, actually, they were the first one to deploy because they were so nimble and they were so efficient, they could deploy and finish their changes in a, in a matter of days, in a matter of weeks versus months. Nice. Um, and with that pivot, uh, a partner of mine, I mean, a colleague of mine who was in the product side, he joined the team and we partnered to actually revamp the code, completely revamp the whole infrastructure uh, with that React Native. But on top of that, uh, basically redesign the look and feel of the app because our goal was let's bring in with the, the new value of the platform that brings in the customer experience at the palm of your hand, makes sure that for loyalty, this becomes your best companion, best buddy and started building enhancements, experiences that basically were focused on driving the overall ratings of the apps. Oh. So it used to be, so with that, what we did is we first launched the new platform and then behind the scenes, we started building or enhancing the customer experience on a sprint by sprint basis. Right. So every two sprints, every two weeks, we would basically deploy new enhancement, new features. We did not go gung-ho, we were, we were intentionally incremental because right. Many a times you make a change, uh, you know, across the board, everything has been changed. And customers are like, what the hell has happened? <laughs> Here, we were like, we went intentionally incremental, a page, two pages, three pages, three features, four features, which gave customers a feel of new things are coming in. And they were able to see it. They're able to leverage them more often before what they used to do in, in the past. And those are the key benefit, key features, which basically helped us get our ratings from a 3.4 to 3.5 stars that were accumulated over the last six, seven years to like 4.5 to 4.6 stars in a matter of six months. Wow. So because we focused on customer experience, we engaged with the feedback. Uh, you know, a few of our team members would actually respond to those every single feedback that would come in daily. So we we were we became anal basically about customer experience and we ensured that if any customer complaint comes in, we tackle it, address it, and we went back to the customer. So many a times what happened is a one-star rating converted into a five-star rating because you went back to the customer. Nice, nice. That was great. That's great. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask a follow-up question exactly about uh, ratings because, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, they, they have mobile apps for their businesses. And, and the key thing is ratings because if the rating is low, even if the app is good, um, people generally just don't download it. So... So that's great, you know, focusing on uh, user experience and and I really like the idea of building it incrementally because uh, a lot of people, they just go all in thinking that their idea is the best idea, whereas the public may not really, you know, uh, uh, agree with that. So so your approach is very well, um, uh, very well uh, implemented. So Thank you. now. Going from you know you 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 did work on B two B side and B two C side. Uh, again, many corporations have either a singular focus like B two B or B two C. How did you how did you manage to balance the the emphasis on these two different segments of the business? It's it's a great question, Manuj. I think uh, I, I give credit actually back to uh, one of my managers at that time who basically saw that, okay, I can go into the managerial role 
Um, and because I started as a developer in B2B space. So I, my mind was purely tuned towards how a B2B customer works. And I would partner with the business analysts, the business you know, leaders, the business VPs, make sure that we can build experiences that are completely in line with the expectations of the B2B customers because those varied, especially in 2008, 2009 versus what a B2C customers was looking, looking for. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at that point in time, when with, with my mindset towards you know, ensuring that the technology does not lead the customer experience, customer experience drives the technology, the manager saw something in me and she was like, okay, you should become a manager, right? And she, she started basically pushing it and some things under me because of the things that she saw. And then eventually the other leaders, they saw some opportunity in, in growth and career standpoint. And they saw that, yes, I can potentially handle that. So my mind always started from the B2B side, right? So uh, when I got into B2C, it was for me, it was more of a understanding how I operate normally, right? So it was not that hard. Versus others who go from B2C to B2B, you're going from your personal experience or the customer's experience in the B2C side to B2B, and you're like, why people do it this way? (laughs) To to me, it became very natural to adopt B2C because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how I shop, or that's how my family members shop, or that's how my friends shop. Whereas in the B2B side, I had to learn, and that learning was as a developer, which I saw every single minute detail because we would interact with our customers, we would talk to them, we would understand the nuances, the challenges that they are facing, and the pieces that we would build in collaboration with the product team or the business analyst or the marketing guys would be exactly what they are wanting, right? So the perspective was completely different because you are hand-holding a customer versus in B2C case, you're trusting things out or you have a customer who provided you feedback, you should be really grateful that they provided you that feedback. And now you can basically implement something that satisfies them. Yeah, so yeah. for me, it was really helpful, that background that I started off in B2B first, because switching to B2C was relatively easier, in my opinion, in that case. I see. That's great. And so, um, you know, e-commerce has taken a huge leap forward in 2020. And since you are a veteran of, uh, you know, this this uh, this field, um, I like how do you see uh, oh, in the long term e-commerce is going to affect our lives? Do you see that we are going to see more innovations, more um, uh, more sort of different ways of conducting business online? What do you see in the future as especially uh, after 2020, like, you know, whatever has happened in 2020? Right. Yeah. So, well, if anybody had any doubts about e-commerce, I mean, they have those should be shunned completely by now. It is here to say, in fact, it is here to define what the future looks like. Mm. Uh, There are a few things that will happen. Uh, You know, the adoption of voice as voice native platforms is going to be different because you can imagine, you know, the Alexa's, the Google Homes of the world and other devices they have done their job, but they're primarily used for, okay, play me a song or tell me what the weather is like and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. E-commerce and M-commerce is going to shift into a more of a, a, a pattern-based, demand-based, or you know, uh, a recommendation or subscription-based model. More and more, it's going to be doing that. And with our devices, with our mobile devices that we carry in our hands and use it basically almost 24-7 nowadays, this is going to be very personalized. 
So the companies who will win in the e-commerce space will be who can personalize the experience to the point that the customer actually is wanting that specific, whatever they are looking for. Talk about even shows, right? Talk about even if I'm watching a movie on Netflix or Amazon Prime or HBO Max, whatever I'm doing, they are they're looking at understanding my watching patterns that they are describing or recommending to me what show I should watch. Similar to that, now they are seeing on my mobile device, I probably search for nearby store for a specific, let's say, let's say car is, uh, cars as an example, search for entire installation near me. And then when I'm online, on, on my laptop, they can tie back the same data to be able to say, oh, you know what, Khalid search for this tie, show him this tie back on the website now. So the companies who will do great will be the ones who can tie this data together across all these devices that we have today. And many companies are already doing that. We are also embarking upon and we are also have been investing into these this space because we see a lot of value what personalization can bring you. Yes. There will always be nuances because sometimes you may be personalizing something which, let's say, Manuj has already bought. Yes, get that. But there will be a time. There will be a time. It's not that far where you will be able to predict what Manuj is going to buy and not worry about what he has already bought because your data will be so great. That's where true AI will come into play. Yeah. Right now, we are still leveraging machine learning to understand the descriptive nature of what he or she may have done from a yeah. customer standpoint and then apply it. So I, e-commerce is here to stay. In fact, the, 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 the overall um, uh, you know, ecosystem will rely more and more about technology, more and more on technology, and mobile is going to be the, at, at the forefront of that. Now, it may change that they may start connecting it with your mind. Your brain may start thinking it and maybe placing orders through the mobile device that you carry or the watch that you may have or mm -hmm. just through voice. The patterns may shift, but e-commerce is going to change the world completely, continuing forward as they're doing it. You are listening to Bootstrapping Your Dreams show with Manuj Agarwal. Businesses face numerous challenges like finding the right product market fit, determining the market size, implementing a winning go-to-market strategy, crafting customer-centric USP, competitive analysis, looking for funding, building up cash flow and profitability. We have made a lot of free resources available to the entrepreneurial community, including this podcast. This podcast. We invite you to check out our websites and follow us on social channels. The links are in the show notes. We hope you find the resources useful and utilize them to grow your business. Grow your business. We also have some programs for entrepreneurs. If you find our content useful, then you will definitely find the programs outstanding so do check them out so it sounds like uh you know um the role of ai will become even greater in this uh, in this uh, world uh at the same time there'll be more concerns about security and privacy so these you know, obviously AI, we can talk about that later. What are your concerns about privacy and security? Because um, here is what I notice, especially being a person from technology background, understanding security. What I found, uh, what I find is typically executives, decision makers, CEOs in the boardroom, they don't really have a very good idea about what security means, mm -hmm. but they use it as a weapon to either forward their agenda, no, it needs to be secure, 
or stop something from happening oh no 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 we cannot do that because it's <laughs> it needs to be secure what are your take what is your take on that so so i'll take these two in you know you know uh, separately so security and privacy i think in my mind they are two separate things by the sure, way sure yeah of course of course uh, however uh, i'll take privacy first so privacy i think it is very subjective okay when i say subjective subjective in the mind of consumer exactly not in the mind of the business owner or business uh, you know or or a business in yeah. the mind of a customer and yeah. it varies and think about think about and that's why i want to repeat think about the generation that is going to be coming into the business in the next 3 4 5 7 years yeah, yeah, yeah. they are the kids who are graduating from college or they are going to be graduating from high school now going into college yeah look at their perception of privacy yeah and that is the definition of what privacy is going to be in the near future mm-hmm. yes there will be scenarios where people would like certain things that they do they want to be private and not openly available in public but with the expo- with the exposition of social media privacy is going to become very limited in terms of what it entails yeah. maybe i would say you know it it could very well become to be you know what if it is a dining if it's a restaurant don't capture my information right mm-hmm. it may go down to, and it will very well go down to that level because i don't care if i'm in the in the middle of a concert and somebody is basically you know live streaming it and i'm part of it or i'm doing it vice versa nobody cares right so those things are going to become very subjective based off of what consumer demands and consumer patterns and shifts are mm-hmm. and i believe it go down to a point where i mean similar to the california law that was passed i mean they give you the ability now they in fact ask you the ability to you want to disable x amount of cookies or you want to disable everything right so that is just the beginning it's going to become very it's going to be very fine grained it's going to be very much along the lines of okay you want yourself to be tracked if you are at a dining location and you don't want yourself to be tracked when you're driving yeah. right and vice versa and google is already actually doing some of this in their devices and apple is also doing that so yeah. this is exactly where privacy is going to go the privacy concept that we have today is everything that i do is private is going to change i frankly if you ask me i don't really care what google knows about me as long as it does not look into what is in my bank account or what is happening with my family personally right those are the things that you care about you don't care if it knows what am i browsing i don't care as long as you are not doing something bad you're fine with it yeah. so that perception will change and that could well become the norm with the new generation that's coming out the kids but frankly speaking all they care is if their parents know about what they're doing or not yeah so <laughs> it is going to completely go down that path uh so that's where the privacy piece stands security i think it is going to be very integral going forward as well as it's today more and more attacks and hacks are happening on a daily basis right and as we go down to this securing of as we go down of this privacy concept you will have to ensure that for example if khalid has marked that yes his 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 uh, you know his escapades across restaurants should not be captured we need to first of all ensure that either the device goes into a specific mode that is not being captured or if it is being captured it could be deleted right away or even if it is being captured it is kept in some sort of an encrypted format that nobody can access or nobody can understand what it is right so security comes into every single piece of those those three situations that i spoke about that will continue to be important security will continue to play an important role because banking more and more people are going to be doing online banking only uh, 
and uh, you know it's it's even the people who were not doing it before because of this pandemic have shifted completely my father-in-law who barely used uh, online banking now is completely using online banking so you can imagine the pattern shifts and how people are shifting towards so security will be very important no matter where we land the concept of privacy is going to be different versus security is going to continue to be important because you have to keep yourself secure from bad you know or malicious uh, people as well as attackers that are norm these days that's, that's and and yes to you, to your point that you mentioned that sometimes you know uh, at the executive level we use it as an excuse i think the best way to approach is when you are building a concept or a model you bring in both the perspective to say you know what yes this will be either secure and if it cannot be secure let us do a pilot that yeah. basically test this out right privacy is always important but you can say you know what let us as long as there are no legal implications let us do a pilot and test it out with a smaller market or yeah. smaller customer segment to see what they believe yeah. uh, and that lines very well with you know what what bezos says or he believes in his disagree but commit because at executive level you can always have a disagreement about an idea yeah, but yeah. you're not at the ground level so commit with the team and yeah. say okay go with it and bring me back the proof uh that you can do great and if you do great guess what i was wrong and the company did awesome and if you did not do well we learned something good that's awesome that's great no i i bring, I bring up that point just because it's an esoteric topic and it becomes uh you know in in many a debates uh this this security and privacy has become a like a central point even at the even if we talk about the you know if we listen to the news there's a lot of chatter about security and privacy i laugh because the same people who who are concerned about privacy they have no uh no qualms about uh, you know using free wifi at starbucks or at the airport not knowing that their entire data is being collected by by somebody so it's it's a matter of convenience right now um but anyway moving on so uh, you mentioned personalization in e-commerce and uh, absolutely agree that you know the, this trend started by giants like amazon and and others to to really understand the customer and and uh, customize the experience for them is, is helpful in in selling but what about the small entrepreneurs startups or people who do not have the expertise who do not have the infrastructure or the investment to implement these complex systems to personalize that what where do they go what what advice do you have for so manuj and, and it, it's already happening i mean the the shopifys the big cs the uh, you know uh, platforms of the world are already allowing the small businesses to go online really quickly mm-hmm. and they have they have plugins they have partners they have capabilities that are available to have these small and medium sized businesses launch at a scale which if they were to just do it themselves or build it themselves will take them ages right they have tools of they already out there my recommendation to anyone who's looking into building something from scratch is instead of start building something from scratch if you are just trying to sell something right if you're building a platform that's a different story but if you're trying to just sell some a product that whether you're pro- acquiring from somewhere else let's say shipping over from china india pakistan wherever it is or you're basically building in the us and trying to sell it you can launch with one of these platforms very simply very easily and the best part with these platform these days is they integrate straight into amazon and other marketplaces so not only you basically get the ability to drive customers to your own website with one or two or three or four clicks you can publish the same product to these marketplaces so you're expand 
in the past where I would create a website and now I'm waiting for customers to come to me, spend paid search money, spend a lot of marketing dollars trying to get customers to me. I can launch my product and then push it into Amazon and other places where that can be easily accessible by the customers, right? So as a small business owner, the technology has enabled me to basically reach a much bigger audience that I had access to before. We just need to, you just need to partner with the right folks. I mean, even Squared, even BigCommerce, Shopify, all of these platforms allow you to do so. So if you're trying to build something from scratch, don't forget what these platforms offer and go incremental. Build it as a start. See what it does for you. And then as it starts ramping up, and if you don't think that it provides you the right tools and the capabilities, then pivot into building something of your own. Because yes, to your point, personalization algorithm for my specific kind of product may be completely different than what Shopify may be offering or BigCommerce may be offering or the likes of other platforms may be offering. But until I know that I have customer base, what is the point of building something when I'm going to invest two years and somebody else is going to come up with it? Exactly. So focus, build incrementally, launch your business, launch your product, get your product out, and then start behind the scenes, build an infrastructure. Even if you think about Amazon, I mean, they uh, they did not have everything built. I mean, they've built everything in 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 in, in, in bits and pieces. And yeah. over the years, they grew to such a big, you know, giant organization that basically we essentially can't live without today. Exactly. So, Apply that startup mentality is very important. So as you're a small and medium-sized business owner, you are a startup, right? Yeah. But don't lose that startup mentality just because you have started to sell stuff or you want to sell something really quick and you're like, until I build a platform, I can't do much. Yeah. Pick a platform which is already existing, launch it, get the customers first. Once you have the customers, then rest of it is much easier to do, relatively easy. That's well said. Uh, uh, once again, I think you are demonstrating your ability to sort of do things things incrementally rather than in one big shot. And I think, um, as you said, that is how successful startups, that is how successful organizations conduct their business. So that's a that's a very good piece of advice. Now moving on. So uh, you know you you you've been in various sectors. You know, obviously you've been in uh, consumer sectors, B two B, B two C. And now you're working in a totally different sector, which is automotive tires. Uh, you know, going from post-it notes and uh, and uh, you know binders to tires. Um, what was that experience like? W what are the insights you gained by switching industries at a drastic level like that? Wonderful question, Manoj. So one thing I always tell people that if you're looking for an opportunity, look for three things in that opportunity. One, it gives you a it has a growth potential for you. You learn something brand new, right? And it, it is going to get you out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. If those three things match, you should take that opportunity, even if it lasts for a month. Mm -hmm. And I tell everyone that because you are taking a calculated risk in the sense, when I say calculated, in the sense that you will learn something new no matter what. And learning should never stop. So for me, that was basically what enticed me. And I'm a car enthusiast. I love cars, right? So for me, uh, you can imagine myself, you know, I may be running through tires almost every nine to 10 months before pandemic, right? Yeah. Now with pandemic, that's a different story. But before pandemic, it was like that, literally. So to me, it was an added on, you know, added on benefit that, oh, you know what? Tires would be basically relatively inexpensive for me. Right? <laughs> and I love cars, right? So for me, not only it was that I've been in the office supply and the B2B side of the business for quite some time uh, uh, in the retail side, 
so for me, it was basically an opportunity to learn a new side of the business, mm -hmm. to learn a new side of the products, how they work and how they interact with the customers and how that customer side works on the direct to consumer or business to consumer side. And then on the B2B side, there's a huge, huge market on the B2B side where tires are being shipped from one place to another, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, the installer or another, uh, you know, uh, uh, automotive service provider. Right. I mean, I, 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 as an example, we provide tires to pretty much everybody across the U.S., right? We as, as a B2B tire provider. So to me, it was learning this new experience and be able to leverage technology and digital experiences to enhance the overall customer journey and driving value for the business as well as our customers. So that's what enticed me and got me into it. And it definitely, it, it all those three things that I spoke about earlier, they, it fit the bill right there. And I was like, let's take this. Why not? And I, it's been an awesome journey so far. Team has been phenomenal, and I'm blessed that we are doing some crazy and amazing stuff and look forward to continue driving that. That's great. Yeah, I mean, those are really good points, you know, especially the one, uh, the last third, third point that you said, which is it should get you outside of your comfort zone because growth happens outside of your comfort zone. If you stay comfortable, I don't think you'll experience much growth, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and so um, uh, what do you see in terms of the automotive sector? Because even the automotive sector is going through a huge change right now. Uh, as you said, we haven't been driving a lot. I mean, uh, those of us who have been working from home, um, you know, uh, even industries like airlines have been affected. Um, uh, electric cars are taking over, uh, you know, um, Auto automated driving is becoming mainstream. So being a car lover and being from that industry, what are the long-term trends you're seeing in, in this industry? Yeah, there, there are quite a few. Um, I think one is uh, many many folks may say that EVs are probably short-lived. I am a strong disbeliever of that statement. EVs are going to be the future. Uh -huh. And in fact, GM just made a mandate that by 2035, they won't even have a you know uh, a, a, you know an, an ice vehicle actually so yeah. no more ICEs uh, you can imagine like a company like GM making such a bold statement whether they get to it or not that's a different story but it's a huge initiative that they're moving towards right and I'm sure they will be driving towards that so that is going to be the future there's no doubting that custom the human mindset is going to move towards that uh, so that's one in the automotive space. So then secondly, that comes into play is, you know, uh, self-driving vehicles, right? Self-driven vehicles. And it this is going to become the norm. Nowadays, I mean, you see, I mean, there are still many mandates where, yes, your car can drive itself, but you still have to put your hand on the steering wheel or on the on the bottom of the steering wheel and so on and so forth. But with the with the with the utilization of more and more cars coming on on the roads with these kind of technologies, the self-driven vehicles are going to be the norm. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be that far off where people will be like, I will tell you, I mean, if I'm going to work or anywhere else and if I can sit back in the car and I can do my work, great. Yes, that's a different story. If I were on racetrack, that's a totally different ball game. Yeah. But that, that, is, that is going to be the norm. People will do that. So AI is going to come um, become mainstream in that space. It's already, it, it, there's one industry where AI is doing great in the commercial side is 
is is this space in the automotive space the only other industry i say is defense where ai is totally taking yeah. over many to many things but a automotive space ai is taking many many you know uh opportunities making many more opportunities possible and self driven vehicles is one of the things that they have done tesla and all these other vehicles even Cat gm with the cadillac new new cadillac escalade that they are launching it has a lot of self driven capabilities right so that will continue to stay and that's where the technology is going to basically start emerge, merging the pieces where these these vehicles can communicate to each other yeah. and so the the concerns about oh a vehicle may hit something a vehicle may do something a vehicle may inadvertently not see something that's in front of it because of the vehicles can communicate to each other are going to subside right and so that vehicle to vehicle communication is going to be key the the automotive companies i foresee in the future they will be many automotive companies are already partnering together by the way i mean you know it's it's not out of the norm i mean apple is partnering with kia right now to you know to look into what they could be building bmw i know has partnered in the past with tesla and others right so it's it's not going to be that people are not going to partner more and more partnerships are going to happen and the data usage the the usage of data across these these manufacturers is going to be becoming just the norm everyone is going to be like share my data yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a platform where people will be sharing their data because if i use if i know from your data i can help my vehicles be driven better by the autopilot or by this machine that is driving the vehicle yeah. so the exposition and sharing of this data and knowledge will become key of where we take this automotive space in the future and the the companies who in the automotive space who will own a lot of data are going to be able to actually take the market share away because because that will become basically at that point your way of monetizing your approaches and solutions okay. and then in the aftermarket service industry space i think it's too early to predict what happens to that because with battery and electric vehicles maintenance is basically very limited you're looking at tires right so yes we being in the tire business tires will continue until the a new set of tire technology comes it's flying cars <laughs> maybe flying cars will need tires too i think correct exactly so fine <laughs> uh, so i still say for the next 10 years probably tires are okay uh, i know michelin and i know uh, you know goodyear and continental are investing in the technologies where they have longer lasting tires with less you know um uh, opportunity less 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 being less prone to you know uh flats or less prone to hazards on the on 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 the road so they are working on those technologies but it's it's going to take time because you have to ensure the ride smoothness as well so unless the tires can ensure the ride smoothness people are not going to go for those so it will take let's say maybe 10 years but maybe that not not that far but the first two pieces that i mentioned in the automotive space are going to change how people basically drive and i foresee that our kids when they grow or when they are in their 20s they're probably be like i don't want to even drive uh, <laughs> i just want to use a a vehicle that can drive me from one place to the other i don't care and uh that will become the norm actually that will be basically how people will travel and uh you know trains fast you know uh, high speed rails and all that that's going to even further exacerbate the adoption of i don't want to be in this driving mode so that's what i see in the that's it, that's it. i mean as a as a father of two young boys i think that gives me some comfort that I, <laughs> <laughs> driving the car so that's awesome well thank you so much on that high note let's uh, end this conversation
But before I let you go, can you tell us how people can reach out to you if they want to connect with you? Sure, absolutely, Manoj. Uh, I'm I'm very active on uh, LinkedIn. You know, uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just search for me. Anytime you need an advice, anytime you need, you know, any thoughts that you would like to talk about or share with me or brainstorm an idea, I'll be more than happy to. Uh, as leaders, the one thing that we can provide to our communities around us and 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 individuals who are trying to grow in their professional careers is advice and you know uh, give them thought processes or guide them those yeah. are the two things we can provide from a time perspective and wow. if you cannot do that then we are not doing a job as a leader so uh, i'm very active on linkedin uh, you can reach out to me through linkedin very easily um, i have a blog as well but i don't get an opportunity to keep uh, that blog up to date very often so i would say reach out to me over linkedin and connect with me or send me an email uh, or email through linkedin and i'll be more than happy to advise you or even get on a phone call with you and discuss whatever you would like to discuss with me that's amazing thank you so much i'll uh, add the link to your profile in the show notes thank you thank you thank you very much pleasure talking to you take care bye bye hey i'm sarah producer of the bootstrapping your dreams show your dreams show this episode has come to an end don't forget to check out the episode show notes for the links to the resources mentioned in this episode Thanks for tuning in. Until the next episode, goodbye. Keep going and keep winning.